0: Bear with me, guys. I have a cold. I'm going to share a lot of verses today. I always do that. I would rather you guys walk away with God's perspective on this than my opinions, because my opinions aren't that valuable. And in fact, uh, they'd probably just mess you up. And so I will share a lot of scripture. There's a lot that we want to hit today. Okay, so sex is God's idea. Sex is God's idea. Howard Hendricks said we should not be ashamed to talk about what God wasn't ashamed to create. When was the last time you walked into a church and heard about sex? Probably it's been a while. I know it's becoming more common now. That's good. Christians need to start talking about this because the world's talking about it a lot and it's all the wrong stuff. So that's why we're talking about it today. God created the two sexes, men and women, with a need for each other. Genesis 2.18, one of our favorite verses is men, says it is not good for man to be alone. How many of you guys agree with that? Everybody? Yeah, good. I love my wife. I'm glad I'm not alone. 1 Corinthians 7, 7 says that whatever position you're in in life, whether it be single or married, that's God's gift to you. And the word for gift there is actually charisma. It's the same word that Paul uses in 12 and 14 to describe spiritual gifts. In other words, what he's saying is, if you're single, that's God's gift to you. And I'm going to put it to you bluntly like this. If you have a desire to be married, okay, then probably your gifting is not singlehood. Does that make sense? I have a few friends that swear they're gonna be single till they die. Maybe that's their gifting. If God has given you a desire to be married, I'm pretty sure and confident that that is your gifting in life. I have guys, college guys that I work with sometimes say, maybe I'm not supposed to get married. Okay? And I say, well, are you, are you trusting God? Are you growing closer to him? Has he put that desire there? Yeah, I think there's a good chance that's how he's directing you. So what I want you to get this morning before we even start out is it's good to be married. God made us with a natural need for the opposite sex. He said it's not good for us to be alone. And this is part of God's plan for your life, most likely, unless you're one of the few that God has called to be single. And that's between you and God. He'll make that clear to you. Song of Solomon is devoted to romance and specifically to sex, right? There's a lot of discussion about this in that book. This is not something that's foreign to God. When you say the word sex, it's not like God cringes in heaven, okay? This is something he created to be awesome and good, and he created it for us to enjoy, and for many other purposes that we'll talk about this morning. So don't feel awkward by talking about this. God created marriage and sex to be great and satisfying, okay? Sex is the reason each of us are here today, Somebody gave us birth and got pregnant. God created us with romantic desires, and he wants us to fulfill those the correct way. God never commands you to something that he doesn't empower you for. If God says do it, he makes it possible for you to do. Likewise, God doesn't create you for something that he doesn't want you to walk in. Does that make sense? God didn't create you with a stomach not to eat. God didn't create you men with a sex drive not to have sex. We need to get our thinking right here. This is something God gave us, but he gave it to us in a way that he wants us to fulfill according to his plan, because that's the best way. He made us. He made me. He knows how I work, so he knows what's going to bring the maximum health and fulfillment to me as his son. Okay, when I do this my own way, when I take sex out of the context and purpose that God put it in, there's a ton of junk that comes out of it. Talk about divorce unplanned pregnancies, STDs. I know back when I was a student, the health department on our campus said 40% of college women had STDs. This is 10 years ago. And that's obviously a lowball figure because there are a lot of women that aren't talking about it. A lot of times people might have the tendency to think, ah, just STDs. You know, it's not everybody. It's all over the place. So This is not a small issue. Okay. There are a lot of people that are doing this their own way and they're ending up with things that will kill them or hurt their life for the rest of their life. That's kind of the result of doing this our way and not God's way. Not to mention divorce, not to mention pain. We used to have a poster we put up on campus that had a pile of condoms, and it said, too bad they don't make one for your heart. I'm going to be blunt with you guys. They're not always effective. They're at least 2% ineffective if you're using them exactly how you're supposed to. So you still have a 1 in 50 chance of that not succeeding and preventing a pregnancy. And an STD is even easier to contract than it is to get pregnant. Just to give you perspective, and I don't want to make this the theme of the talk, but the HIV virus is, from what I understand, one ten-thousandth the size of a sperm cell. Okay, An economy is designed to prevent sperm, and that HIV virus is a lot smaller. So we're not going to go there the whole time. I just want you to see that when we don't do this God's way, we suffer. God's not just sitting up in the sky going, Ah, don't have sex because I feel like making you suffer. I feel like making you miserable. No, God has designed this for my maximum good. And when I do it my way, I suffer. God's law is always there for my own good. So let's trust him on it. There are God-given rules for sex. They produce the most and the most satisfying sex. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says that sex is reserved for marriage. It talks about not being sexually immoral. This provides the security and stability needed for a truly satisfying relational, emotional, spiritual, and physical progressive sex life. Sex is not just physical. If anybody tells you it's just physical, they're lying, or they're frankly unaware. They might not have much of a clue about the fullness of what sex is. On the college campus, most of you college students know, it's talked about as a purely physical thing. They're missing 75 plus percent of what it was meant to be. So the sex life that God created for us is safe, and it actually contributes to a marriage. Outside of marriage, sex actually destroys a relationship because it prevents the things that are important in that relationship, things like communication, forgiveness. I know college students that will have an argument, dating, dating couples, will have an argument, and to make up, they go have sex. Well, they don't have to learn very much about communication or forgiveness or confrontation, those cornerstones of a successful relationship. Now, when we say, I'm going to put that sexual relationship off and focus on this relationship God's way first, what happens is I learn it the way it's supposed to be learned. I learn to put this other person first with an unconditional agape love. And then inside that foundation later, sex contributes to marriage. But sex outside of marriage will actually prevent people from growing the way they could. So God's way is best. My way destroys. And ultimately, guys, you... You're men. How many of you guys think I'd be satisfied with not ever having much sex and really not having that great of sex? How many of you guys think that'd be good? I frankly want to have a ton of sex, and I want it to be awesome. Okay? (laughs) My father-in-law is glaring at me right now. (laughs) Note to self, don't talk about sex when your father-in-law is in the crowd. (laughs) Yeah, he told me last night he brought all of his guns up here, too. (laughs) I was too stupid to figure out why he told me that. (laughs) I'm like, sweet, I'm so glad you brought up seven guns. (laughs) Yeah, I'll be leaving as soon as this talk is done. (laughs) So anyway, Christians need to start talking more about this, guys. Look where our nation is at. Look at the state of sex in our country. How many people do you know? that actually have a good sex life? I mean, I don't know anybody that does. How many people do you know that actually have a good marriage? We have students all the time come to us and say, you're the first good marriage we've ever seen. It's not like you're one good marriage we've seen. They'll tell us you're the first we've ever seen. Our nation needs to see this. You know, Colorado has a transgender bathroom law now. Did you guys hear about this? My dad was so livid, he was about to have an aneurysm on the phone when he called to tell me about it. So now if you feel like a woman, you can use a woman's restroom. If you feel like a man, you can talk about the perversion. That's what's happening because we're being too quiet because we have this messed up idea that God doesn't want us to mention sex. Something he created, we need to get this right. We need to take the stand and be the light. And it's way overdue. We need to do this now. Men need and want to be challenged. Every one of you guys in here wants to be challenged. When you guys go to church and you hear some weak, warm, comfortable, and cozy talk, you don't like it. You walk out feeling like, why did I even go spend my time there? But when you walk into your church and your pastor challenges your socks off, as men, you respond to that and you respect that. Okay, so here's what I'm telling you. You guys need to start challenging the men around you about sex because they will respond. It's awkward to talk about it, but when you guys can break the ice and actually get it out in the open, it's, it's kind of comfortable then. It's, it's okay to talk about. If we're silent and passive, living in sin, the result is the people around us experience sexual identity confusion. This is where a lot of the feminism and homosexuality in our society are coming from, okay? Because Christian men won't take the stand God called us to take. We need to do this, guys. Men need to grow up and be real men, so many men are pathetic losers when it comes to sex. They think, I'm a great Christian, but I'm going to go screw around on my wife, or I'm going to go have sex with my girlfriend. We've actually had guys tell us, God wants me to love people, and I love my girlfriend when I have sex with her, so that's why it's okay for me to have sex with her. I want to slap these guys. Be like, dude, grow up. Obey God. His way is best. Be an example for him, not an example for the world. First Corinthians 16:13. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith be men of courage, be strong. It's high time that we obey that. Okay, that requires that we begin thinking correctly about sex. Before we can talk about it, before we can be the examples about it, we need to think correctly about it. That's what repentance is. It's a change of our thinking that leads to a change of action. So our minds need to get right about sex. And a lot of our minds believe about sex, what we see on the TV. That's not good. We need to start believing God's way about sex. Romans 12:1 and 2 says that we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. Okay, if any of you guys are stuck in any kind of sexual sin and you want victory over it, it starts not by not doing that sexual sin. It starts by transforming your mind. We'll get into that later. But we need to start thinking correctly about sex if we want to do it correctly and talk about it correctly to other men. That's why we're having this talk here this morning. Hebrews 13.4 says, the Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and the sexually immoral. Okay, so this is a big deal to God, and we're supposed to honor it. How can you honor something that you don't understand? If I want to honor sex the way God intended it to be honored, I've got to know the way God intended it to be used in the context that he put it in. So my experience before marriage, and I'm going to be honest with you guys, is I never got talked to about sex by my dad. I love my dad. He loves God. He loves the word. My mom and dad, when I turned 12, they gave me a stupid little book with some, like, pencil drawings. And it was like, your mom and dad want you to know how you were born. This is how you're going to look in a year or two from now. It was the dumbest book I've ever seen. I think it was written for people that were too uncomfortable to talk about it. I never had somebody that sat down and talked turkey with me about sex. You know where I learned about sex? Right here, from Gordy, from Wayne, from Gary, from Joe, from Russ, obviously. This is where I learned about it. Thank God, and I thank you guys, because you guys gave me the right perspective on sex that has contributed to the marriage I have now. I had a teacher in sixth grade named John Ray who, who challenged me about porn at 11, not to get into porn. He's an amazing man of God that I love. I owe so much of the success of my sex life and marriage to him. So you guys can be those men. Honestly, fathers, don't worry about what your kids are going to hear today. Don't be going, oh, my gosh, my son's going to hear about sex. This is terrible. This is going to be good. I'm going to do something very awkward. Sons, if you came with your dad today, on your drive home, talk about sex. A lot of you dads are like, crap. (laughs) Never coming back here again. Well, that's fine. (laughs) You're stuck with it right now. I'm not going to leave you hanging. I printed off a ton of resources up here. So if you're like freaking out going, how in the world do I do this? There are tons of resources up here. So no matter where you're at as a dad, you've got resources right here. I only made 10 of these, so I hope it's enough. Get on the email list if you need it. We can email you more. Or you can go to Focus on the Family's website. That's where I got all of these. This is uh, themes to touch on during the talk. Okay. So if you're a dad who just got told you have to talk about sex on the drive home, you want to read that okay? because it will give you a little bit of perspective on what to talk about. So fathers, don't worry about what your kids are going to hear. They're hearing it far more from the other side already. Their friends, their classes. My wife got taught about sex when she was 11 in school. Told if she needed condoms to come and get them for free at 11. So they're hearing about it. They better hear about it from you instead of everybody else because you have their best interest in mind. So start talking. Proverbs 6:20 20 through 29. This is a neat passage. I'm not going to read it. But it says that a father's instruction, that a parent's instruction protects their children from the wayward woman. So if you want to preserve your kid and protect your kid from the sexual pitfalls that plague our society, you're the one that gets to start talking. That's real parenting to walk through this stuff with your kids. Dads probably think your kids don't want to hear it, but I promise you they do. It might be awkward, but man, your kids are dying to hear it from you. I was. And for all you guys in here, If you don't have a dad that you can talk to about this for whatever reason, talk to your pastor. Talk to somebody that you feel comfortable talking to. You can all talk to me, okay? You can all talk to Russ. You can talk to us. Fathers, you determine the sexual climate of your home. This is weird to you, but it's true. Do you know a father regulates his daughter's hormones? Did you know that a fatherless home, a girl will go into puberty earlier than in a home with a father? Even just your existence and your stability as a good father will regulate some of the sexual atmosphere of your home. I also want to say that your sin, whether it's porn or wrong movies or adultery or lust or turning your head or whatever, that affects your wife, your children, and even your children's friends and others. I know stories of people whose sons got into porn At other guys' houses, they're over at somebody's house for a week, and that father, his son, got into it from him, and then the friend got into it that way. So your sin could affect not just your kids, but other kids too. And fundamentally, if your sin is a struggle to you, you're going to be unable to lead or challenge or speak about this issue to your kids because you don't feel comfortable about it yourself. You don't feel like you have a position to speak about it. And I'm not going to leave you hanging, guys. I'm going to talk about some of the best ways to beat sexual temptation you've ever heard today. So bear with me. Again, it might go a little long. Just bear with me because it's good stuff. Ultimately, if you're struggling with sexual sin, the spiritual umbrella over your house has holes in it. And it's not protecting your family the way God desires. Your home is vulnerable at that point. You know, the average first exposure to porn, eight years old on the computer, in your homes. If you guys don't have an internet filter and you have kids, you're setting your kids up to see things that are going to impact them for decades to come and possibly lead them into a lot of sexual sin themselves. So you guys need to get filters. Go to CovenantEyes.com. CovenantEyes.com. You'll hear me talking about it. It's good. Okay? You know the largest demographic that views porn is the 12- to 17-year-olds. In other words, the teenagers that are in your houses make up the majority of porn viewing in our country. So fathers, you have a huge role to play here to protect the sexual climate of your home in such a way that your kids grow up with a godly sexuality, right? So they're not hindered from what God desires for them. Don't sexualize your children. Be careful who you let them hang around. And just because you trust somebody doesn't mean you should trust them with your kids statistically guys one in three girls how many of you guys have girls okay that's what like 30 guys in here 10 of you your daughters have been sexually molested statistically one in three girls how many of you guys have boys okay that's about 30 statistically five of you guys have boys that have been sexually molested very likely they're not going to talk about it till they're 25 30 35 or maybe never but it's going to have a lot of impact on their life. You as a dad can talk to them about this. It might feel awkward. <laughs> Take these resources, talking to your kids about sexual abuse, and even bring it out. You don't know what they've experienced in their past. With my daughter, her grandparents are the only people alive I would fully trust, pretty much. I mean, it's not quite that bad, but it's pretty much that way, you know. Be careful who you let your kids be around. Be a Christ-like example, and they will imitate you. Guys, if you're walking the way God called you to walk in this area, they will imitate you. I'm reading a book right now by Chip Ingram called Effective Parenting in a Defective World. And the main thing that he hits in this book, which I love as a new dad, is you can teach all your kids all the stuff you want to teach them. And, you know, that's great, but it ain't going to change that much. He says if you live it, they're going to catch it. If you don't live it, they're going to catch that. Flat out, guys, be the Christian men God called us to be. First Timothy 4.12 calls you guys to be examples of purity. So that's kind of what we're talking about. So be the covering that your home needs. Keep the junk out. Keep the predators out. Keep the wolves out. Protect your kids. They need you. Now, young men, there are a lot of you young men in here, and this talk is pertinent to everybody. There are guys in here that are very young, and you're men. Brett? You are a man. You're not a boy, okay? You guys can hear this stuff, and this is going to help you guys the rest of your life. All you guys in here, whether you're young men or old, this is pertinent to you. So you young men, you need to listen. Basically, everything you've ever heard about sex outside of this room, unless it was from your dad or from your church, was a bunch of baloney. And it will kill you if you believe it. So don't believe it. Most adults can't have a successful sex relationship. So I promise you, you can't either, okay? This is a lie of our society that an 11-year-old is ready for sex. 50% of adults can't figure this thing out. So you kids, be wise and realize God has given me this time to prepare to be the man God wants me to be, to have a successful relationship for the rest of my life. Do not believe the world's lies. Listen carefully today. You're not too young to take notes, so take notes the best things come to those that wait. That's not just a trite saying, it's very true. You aren't missing out by waiting. You'll get so much more. And I promise you this. In college, I waited to have sex till I was married. Okay? And in college, people always said, "Oh, you're missing out. You're missing out. You're missing out." Now, all those people, they're divorced. They're in broken relationships. They're this they ain't, they're not getting much sex, okay? <laughs> but I am. Okay? Again, my father-in-law is like, uh, you're in trouble. Whatever you put off now, guys, you get much more later. By waiting now, you're not missing out. By waiting now, you're just putting money in the bank, and that money is making a whole lot of interest. You know what I mean? And so 10 years from now, you're going to have friends going, what the heck did you do right? (laughs) Because I envy your marriage, your relationship, and your sex life. So do it God's way and you'll win. You young guys, you can still do this thing right. Now I want to tell you, dating. Some of you are dating age here. This is just a side note. If you struggle with porn, do not date. The idea that you can have a pure relationship with the opposite sex while struggling with porn is a lie. So wait till you have victory in this area to start dating. I've seen guys do terrible things to women that were struggling with porn. Don't burn bridges. When you're in a dating relationship, every small bridge you burn is going to be real hard to go back. So you need to be real careful. I'm not going to tell you what standards are there. Well, I'll tell you some. you know, obviously you don't have sex, you don't get naked, stuff like that. But a lot of Christians are going to debate, is it okay to kiss before you get married? I'm not going to tell you an answer to that because the Bible doesn't give you that answer. But what I will tell you guys that are dating is don't burn bridges because it's going to be real hard for you to go back honor God in that relationship. 1 Corinthians 10 31, whatever you do, do it to glorify God. Chris Hardrick, when he was dating, Aaron and I, my wife and I did pre-marriage with him and his wife. And this is what Chris said. Our standard for our physical relationship is, does it glorify God? Plain and simple. Does it glorify God? I think that's a good standard, right guys? If you can answer that, then you've won. So, you don't have to miss what God has for you. God's way is best. God's standards are there for our own good. In John 10.10, 10, God promises each of you the abundant life. That's a full, meaningful, and satisfying life that beats anything the world can offer you. God didn't say, I'm going to give you the abundant life, but sex is going to be miserable. <laughs> you're a man. I know where you're coming from. That wouldn't be very abundant. So... When God promises you the abundant life, it includes sex, right? He's not dumb. He didn't forget how he made you. So let's start believing him. He wants you to have an abundant and fulfilling and meaningful sex life. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived what God has in store for those who love him. Okay? Now, relate that to sex. It means you've never seen something this good. You've never heard of something this good. You've never even thought of something this good. That's what God has for you. Okay, now, when we do it our way, we miss that. So no and follow his plan. All relationships involve attraction. How many of you guys have felt attraction for another individual? All of us, right? Okay, attraction is an emotion which involves admitting something is nice and beautiful. It's very different than lust, which is choosing to selfishly use another person to meet my desires. So attraction is okay. Lust is not. Okay, you can be attracted to anything, guys. You can be attracted to a pizza. I'm very attracted to pizzas. I know a lot of you guys are uh, attracted to baby kittens. (laughs) It's a joke. (laughs) Guys, you can be attracted to guys and girls. And this is not weird. Austin is my accountability partner. I'm going to talk to you more about him today. He's on staff with us. The first day I met Austin, I had an attraction for Austin. This was not a bad or a sexual attraction. I was like, I like this guy. I mean, we both snowboard. We like all the same stuff. We connect. You know, there are some people you just connect with. That's attraction. It's like, hey, you know, I really like you. And that's cool. You can have a very godly relationship out of that. You can also be attracted romantically to the opposite sex. You can, and I hope you will be attracted to your spouse. (laughs) And hopefully, you'll be attracted to God. And I think that's why you guys are here today. You had a desire to grow closer to God. Okay, so attraction happens in all areas of relationships, in all types of relationships. Attraction does not equal romance or sex. And this is the lie that our society is telling us. If you're attracted, you have to get in bed. You have to hook up. We have stories of college girls having sex with three or four guys a day. Now, the deal is society is telling you if you feel an attraction, it's sexual. And that's a bunch of crap, frankly. It's a lie. It's not true. You control your attraction. Your attraction doesn't control you. You can feel an attraction and say, you know what, that attraction is godly, I'm going to pursue it. Or you can feel that attraction and say, it's not godly, I'm not going to pursue it. I don't have to want that thing. Okay, in Philippians 1, Paul evaluates his desires. He says, it is right for me to feel this way about you. You get that? Paul wasn't just like, I feel an attraction for the Philippians. But he evaluated it. Why? Why do I feel this attraction for the Philippians? Well, because God wants me to encourage them in their faith, help them grow, et cetera, et cetera. So then he writes, it's right for me to feel this way. This is correct. He was evaluating his attraction. He was evaluating his feelings. We can do the same thing. If we don't do that, guys, if we let our attractions lead us, we will die. Our heart is desperately evil, and it's deceitful, and it will trick me. It will lead me down roads that I don't need to go down. So decide what you will allow yourself to be attracted to. It's kind of like this. In my marriage, Aaron is my definition of beauty. Am I ever tempted to look twice at another woman? You bet. I'm a man. I see a woman that's beautiful. Absolutely, I'm going to be tempted to look twice again at her. But between my accountability partner and I, a second look is lust. And I will confess that to him as sin, and I'll confess it to God as sin. So, seriously, I look twice at another woman. I'm going to email my accountability partner. Gordy's the one that actually gave me that definition, so thank you, Gordy. So you guys, choose what you're going to be attracted to. You have a question, Johnny? I'm very open with my wife, so yeah, absolutely. You guys be sensitive with your wife. If your wife is going to have a lot of insecurity and all this stuff, be careful. Here's what I'd say. Go to your accountability partner, another man, first and get one of those. If you're struggling with lust, I mean, I'm going to be frank with you guys, like on a continual daily basis, you're going to hurt your wife a lot if every day you're like, Gu- guess what, honey, I lusted after 17 women today. <laughs> your wife is going to be like, well, thanks a lot. That's awesome. You guys, I think when you get to a point where you're walking in the light with an accountability partner and you're trusting God, and there's this vulnerability, and your wife is at a place where she can be a partner in this with you, it's okay, and only share, I think, the appropriate level of sharing. Does that make sense? That's for you and God to decide. That's not my decision. But be careful with her emotions. Don't hurt her. My wife is one of the strongest women I know. So, yeah, absolutely. And something weird happened, and I'll share it. This was weird for me to share with Aaron at first, but I'm real comfortable with it now. And I think you guys need to hear it. I was under the misguided perception that I would get married and never feel attraction for another woman. If you believe that, you're believing a complete farce. Okay, it's not true. So anyway, a couple years after I got married, there was this girl at our bank. I didn't even notice it. It was like she's beautiful, she's friendly, you know, and I'd just be talking to her and all this stuff like that. And one day I'm sitting in line. All the tellers are taken, and the thought comes into my head, I hope she opens up next. Obviously it would be more fun to talk to her than the fat, ugly guy next to her. Um, (laughs) Okay? But this thought comes into my mind. And the second that thought came into my mind, I was like, Nate, Are you kidding me? There's an attraction developing for another woman other than my wife. Okay, so you know what I did? I told my wife about it right away, and I said, I'm never going back to that bank branch again until that lady's not there. And I told my accountability partner about it, and I didn't go back to that bank branch for like three years. And I told my wife who it was. I wanted everything to be in the light. I didn't want to put any confidence in my flesh. I didn't want to think, oh, Nate, you're a good Christian. You're strong enough not to fall. That's the first step down the wrong road. So I knew if I get this thing in the light and my wife and my accountability partner know where I'm coming from, I can't fall. And so I thank God for people that will stand with us as men like that. But what I want to encourage you guys with is you guys, any of you married men know it, and all of you guys that aren't married yet will find out that that will come up, and you better be ready to take that stand. My goal, and this is what's really good, is I want her to know she can trust me and also What's cool is whenever I've shared stuff like that with her, she tells me. She goes, Nate, it totally frees me up to be honest with you because I know you're not holding anything back from me. So there are things she's reluctant to tell me about, and then I find that she just comes real clean with me about just thoughts and ideas and stuff like that. And so it establishes a lot of honesty and vulnerability in a close-knit relationship. But be appropriate. Be appropriate. But don't keep secrets. Don't pretend like you can never tell your wife. How many of you guys have read Every Man's Battle? It's a good book. I suggest you read it. I gave my wife the book and said, read it. It'll give you a little better perspective on where men are coming from. She read it, and she was like, holy cow, I had no idea. And so it kind of helps her understand how the masculine mind works. Okay, I'm getting off on a tangent. I'm going to try and hit this as hard and fast as I've ever hit anything. So we need to do this God's way. Ultimately, guys, if you do it your way... You lose true manhood, you lose the abundant life, you lose freedom, you lose fulfillment, you lose your reputation, you lose your confidence, you lose purity, you lose the satisfying sex that God intended for you. Your wife loses the husband God intended for her. Your kids lose the example and role model they so desperately need. Your church, your community, and your country lose the man that God intended for them. And ultimately, God and eternity lose Because your life, calling, purpose, and fruitfulness are limited and hindered by this sexual sin. The ripple effect of doing it your way is guilt, shame, broken marriages and relationships, and sexual frustration. That's what happens when I do it my way. If I do it God's way, I win true manhood. I win the abundant life. I win freedom, fulfillment. I have the reputation God intended for me. I win confidence, purity, and satisfying sex that God intends for me. My wife wins the husband God intended for her. My kids win the example and role model they so desperately need. My church, community, and country win the man of God that God intended for them. And ultimately, God and eternity win because my life, purpose, and calling are not hindered by sexual sin. So there's a lot at stake here. The ripple effect of doing it God's way, guys, is intimacy with God and my wife, encouraging relationships, purity, fulfillment, and sexual satisfaction. Okay, God's purpose in sex, guys. Now, this sounds awkward to you, but it's the only way you can truly understand the level of intimacy it's possible to have with God. God does nothing on this earth without relating it to some spiritual lesson. Nothing. Okay, you can get a spiritual lesson from anything. I promise you that. Whenever I tell this to people, they are so awkward about this. I don't want to think about sex between me and God. Well, you obviously don't, because that's a physical thing. God is spiritual. That's not what I'm saying. But the level of intimacy that you have with your wife in sex, I'm pretty confident you will never have that level of intimacy with anyone else. You shouldn't, okay? Now, God gave me this as a picture of the level of intimacy I can have with him. Now, if you don't believe me, read 1 Corinthians 6, 12 through 20. It says, he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in the flesh. And then it says, he who unites himself with God is one with him in spirit. Paul ties the two together here as a reflection of our relationship with God, saying part of God's purpose in sex is to give me a vision for the intimacy that I can have with God. Now, when it says unites, if you go look at the Greek there, you know what it means? This is really cool. He who unites himself with God is one with him in spirit. I want to be united with God. How do you do that? You know what it literally means? He who glues himself to God. He who glues himself to God is one with him in spirit. And similarly, it's saying he who glues himself to a prostitute is one with her in body and flesh. So sex is something that glues us together in a sense. It's a very intensely emotional, spiritual, mental, and physical connection that you won't experience anywhere else. And similarly, I can have that level of intimacy with God. So I think that's God's first purpose. In a minute, I'm going to share the consequence of sex as children. That's a good consequence. Consequence is not a bad word. So likewise, part of God's purpose in sex is for me to understand his father's heart. I've never understood fully God's father heart until I had a baby girl. And I still don't understand it fully. But I know I understand it a lot better than I did as a single or as a married man without kids. So part of the design of sex is for me to understand the intimacy I can have with God and to understand when I have children as a result of sex, God's father heart for me and for this world. So that's part of God's purpose in sex. So it's not meaningless. It has a point. It has a reason. God's context for sex is marriage. Now God's consequence for sex is children. That's not a bad consequence. That's a very good thing. But what happens in the world is they try to divorce it of all that stuff. Sex has no purpose. Sex has no context. Sex has no consequence. It's just my pleasure that's at stake. Right? Isn't that what the world tells you? It's baloney. We miss all the reasons that God intended it for us. Okay, I'm going to throw up a little slide here. If it's cheesy, bear with me. Forgive me. I spent an entire afternoon trying to come up with these acronyms. And they're still kind of cheesy. If you have better ideas, come talk to me. Sex and marriage is progressive. What that means is it gets better and better and better the longer you're married. Russ and Linda told us this when we were doing pre-marriage counseling with them. And honestly, Russ, I don't mean to embarrass you, but my first thought when Russ said this was, what a liar. (laughs) Okay. I know Russ used to be some hardcore athlete in school, and he's still in good shape. He was on the cover of Sports Illustrated in college. He hates people hearing that. He's he he's stronger than anybody I know, but he ain't what he used to be, okay? So in my mind, I'm like, whatever, Russ. <laughs> There's no way sex is better now than it was when you first got married. It is. Sex gets better the longer you're together. Outside of marriage, sex is not progressive. It's regressive. Does that make sense? Now, here's why, okay? Inside marriage... Sex is great. Outside of marriage, sex is awful. You guys get that? Don't laugh. It's kind of cheesy, but it makes sense. Inside marriage, sex is grounded. By grounded, I mean it has a foundation. There's security. There's stability. Okay? Outside marriage, it's ambiguous. There's no foundation. There's no security. There's no stability. I don't know if this person's going to be there tomorrow morning. I don't know if they're going to leave me. Inside marriage, there's a grounding and a foundation. Outside of marriage, it's ambiguous and shaky, okay? Inside marriage, sex is respectful, okay? There's respect, okay? There's respect between each other. I respect my wife. She respects me. So there's freedom to be yourself. I don't have to put on a game for Aaron. I can be myself because I know she respects me, and I can accept her for who she is and who God made her to be. She doesn't have to be somebody different from me. So it's safe to experiment, and you're able to grow together in marriage. So it's respectful. Outside of marriage, it's weary. It's performance-based acceptance. You're always wondering, am I good enough, or is there somebody better that she's going to leave me for? And so you're not safe to grow in that relationship outside of marriage. Inside marriage, sex is equal between each other. It's two individuals growing together and learning together communicating, sharing expectations and desires. Sex is hard to talk about. Sex is one of the number one reasons people get divorced. Inside marriage, you can have an equality where you can talk freely with each other. This is something I would like in sex. And then my wife can say, you know what? This is something I would like in sex. See, we're equals. We can talk to each other. Outside of marriage, sex is factional. It's two individuals seeking their own ends. So my point is not the other person's good. My point is my good. Aaron and I, a couple, maybe two years ago, we just ate in the college cafeteria. We just wanted to hang out with some of the students. So we went there for dinner, and we're just eating with some, just not our students. We weren't with any of the Christian students. We just sat down with a bunch of students we'd never met before. You know what the conversation was? It was a girl and her boyfriend and her friend. And she's telling her friend how bad her boyfriend is in bed. Do you think that's fun sex? you got problems. It was factional. She was in it for her own good. He was in it for his own good. And they both hated it. So outside of marriage, it's factional. Inside marriage, it's agape, love-centered. It's unconditional and Christ-like. It's selfless, unconditional love, serving and putting each other first, desiring each other's highest good. There's no shame or regret, because I'm in this for you. Inside marriage, sex, for me, I love it. But I'm in it for Aaron. I want to serve her in it. And you know what the good thing is, guys, is I don't lose anything that way. Because when my wife knows I'm serving her, she serves me, and that's good. <laughs> it is. If you got a wife that's like, I could care less how much fun you have in sex. It's not fun. But when you have a wife that is sold out in serving you and making you happy, that's a pretty darn awesome thing to have in sex. That happens in marriage when we have agape, Christ-like love for each other. Outside of marriage, there's ungenerous, selfish, and conditional love, using each other for your own desires, and it's full of shame and regret. Inside marriage, sex is time-enhanced. It gets better over time, just like Russ and Linda told Aaron and I before we were married. I can't wait to be having sex with, with my wife when she's 60, okay? I don't want that to sound awkward to you. But sex gets better and better the longer you're married. You learn each other's desires. You learn what each other like. You know, when we first got married, I actually really didn't like sex. It sounds weird. I want to be honest with you guys. I don't want any of you young guys to have wrong expectations. I got married, and I felt guilty having sex. It took about eight months or seven months to get to the point where I was able to enjoy sex. And it's partly because I didn't think necessarily right about it beforehand. Going back to that... But ever since, you guys, it just grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And you think it can't get any better than where it's at now, and then next year gets better. That's how God designed it to be. God doesn't design stupid stuff. So when he designed sex, he meant it to get better and better and better, not to be something you do a few times and you're like, this sucks, I'm done. Outside marriage, that's what we get. So inside marriage, it's great. Outside marriage... It's awful. Inside marriage, it gets better and better. Outside marriage, it gets worse and worse. You feel more lonely. You feel more rejected. And you feel like you get less and less and less. And honestly, guys, we have people that tell us, I'm through with sex. know, they're like 25 years old. They're not even in their sexual prime yet. And they're done with it because they have so much hurt. So, you guys, let's do it God's way because it rocks. It's really awesome. Okay, so not many people will ever experience the abundant, satisfying sex life that God gives us. Over a lifetime, you can. Practice makes perfect. That works in marriage. Cohabitation does not work. Most cohabitating couples do not stay together. I've heard it's 60% don't ever end up going any further. They break up before they even get to the marriage point. Cohabitation, in other words, living together before you're married, that doesn't work. And of those couples that live together before they're married and end up getting married, it's only about 40% that end up getting married, of those it's a much higher percentage that get divorced, and they get divorced sooner than the rest of the the general public. Does that make sense? So the idea that living together first is going to make it better later is a lie from Satan. So don't believe it. God's way is best always. That's all there is to it. Compatibility is not an issue. Before I got married, people would say, "Why you're not having sex? How do you know you're compatible?" <laughs> I'm like, uh, she's a woman, I'm a man. <laughs> Pretty sure we're compatible. <laughs> you know, I don't think that's an issue. And it's not, guys. God designed us to be compatible with the opposite sex. Okay, so no matter who you end up marrying, you're going to be compatible with them. Okay? Now, does God really want us talking like this? Or is God kind of going, dang it, oh, Nate got all these guys excited about sex. What a jerk. <laughs> I want you to read God's words on this. Proverbs 5:15 through 20. You guys can turn there with me if you want. Some of you guys are going to get a little embarrassed. You guys all there? I'm going to go for it because we're running short on time. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets? In case you're wondering, he's talking about sex here. Basically saying have sex with your own wife, okay? Okay. Should your streams overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Rejoice in your wife, guys, okay? And for you young guys, rejoice in that God is going to give you a wife, and that it will be awesome in his timing, okay? A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated my son by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? He's designed the sexual relationship in marriage to be satisfying for the rest of our life. So let's believe him. Unfortunately though, Jeremiah 2:13 is often the case. We've replaced the spring of living water with empty cisterns that don't carry water. They don't satisfy us. Okay? He says, "Don't be satisfied With other women, be satisfied with your own. And he says, drink from your own cistern. Unfortunately, sometimes we do it our way and it doesn't satisfy at all. Let's do it God's way. As great as sex is, though, sex alone is not the point. I don't want this talk to make in your mind sex as the issue. Sex is good, but my wife is the issue. Does that make sense? I can't divorce sex from my wife. I can't look at sex as an object. Sex is a relationship. So I'm not somebody that loves sex. I'm somebody that loves my wife. And sex happens to be a part of that relationship. Now, here's God's relationship rules that I told you about at the beginning, that he designed for sex. Okay, he designed them for all agape love relationships. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, and it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Okay, if those are my rules for sex with my wife, that's going to be awesome, because that's how God designed it to be. Sex must exist and grow in that context of love. It does not stand alone as an activity. It has to exist as a relationship. So a lot of guys... They treat their wife like crap and then want her to have sex with them. That's treating your wife like a prostitute. That's not how God designed sex to be. And if that's where you're at, it's no wonder sex is not satisfying. Sex becomes satisfying when I realize that is not the object. My wife is. My wife is the point. That relationship is the object that God has given me to prioritize. Okay, now, in that relationship, sex is awesome. So love your wife like Christ loved the church. That's Ephesians 5.25. And she will love you like you always hoped she would. I don't want to be crass, but I want to be so honest with you guys. I don't want to keep anything back. This sounds weird, but my wife has taught me what to desire about sex. She has created my sexual fantasies. That's the way God designed it. Now, when I love her like Christ loved the church... That's what happens. She wants to do that. She wants to please me. If I'm just in this for me, I'm never going to get that, guys. If you think sex is about you and your needs, you will never achieve satisfying sex and your needs will not be met, okay? Selfishness kills sex. Sex is not about your wife's body. Watch your words and your expectations. Don't compare her to others. Lust and adultery are about pride. Lust and adultery are not about meeting a sexual need. They're about pride. Make your wife your definition of beauty. Make her your standard of beauty. Aaron is beautiful. She's my wife. Now, I'm going to define beauty by her. She's a 10. Everybody else is below that. How you match up to her comes somewhere between 1 and 9, but she's the 10 and the only 10. Does that make sense, guys? Make your wife your standard of beauty. Ask God to help you do that. God's framework for abundance. How many of you guys like eggs? All you guys... Okay, how many of you guys like raw, blended-up eggs? The one marine in the room says yes. (laughs) Okay. Um, Ultimately, eggs were meant to be consumed, cooked. Okay, they're pretty disgusting and dangerous when they're not cooked. Sex is the same way. It was meant to be consumed within its context. And when I don't do it, it's dangerous and disgusting when I don't do it in that context. Abstinence before marriage. Sex is too good not to wait, guys. I'm not going to tell you young guys... Wait to have sex because you might get all these STDs. You might, and you could die from them. I have a friend that died of AIDS, and you could have that happen. I'm not going to tell you that's the reason not to have sex. That's a secondary reason not to have sex. You know the number one reason not to have sex? It is too good to screw it up doing that now. Wait till you're married and you get so much more. Don't miss out on what God has for you. And if you've already gone down that road, there's healing, and it can be awesome again. I'll share about that later. I'm going to try and hit this fast waiting equals the spirit of the law there are a lot of youth your guys' age that have these promise rings that, that think oral sex isn't sex sex is sex and it's unfortunate that a former president of the united states of america tried to blur the line of what sex is oral sex is sex god gave us this for our own good let's live up to the spirit of the law not the letter of the law so the idea here is sexual immorality hurts me So I want to have complete purity. Again, does it glorify God? That's my standard. Monogamy and marriage. I want to encourage you guys, since this is God's only way, statistically in a room this big, there's probably somebody that's in an affair or at least thinking about it. I want to call you out and say, do this God's way. Again, do it your way and you'll lose. So temptation and sin. God has provided the most fulfilling answer to our sexual needs. It's called a wife okay? Satisfying it in other ways is sin, and it's sin against God. In Psalm 51, 4, David committed sexual sin and murder, and he came to God, and he says, against you and you only have I sinned. He realized this sin wasn't just something with me, and it wasn't just something with me and another woman. This was between me and God. I got bigger fish to fry if I'm cheating on my wife, okay? And 1 Peter 3, it talks about when I don't have harmony with my wife, it hinders my fellowship with God. So this is between you and God. Satan's perversion, 1 Thessalonians 4, Hebrews 13, 1 Peter 4, Jude verse 7, Revelation 21, and many others say don't give in to sexual immorality because it's for our own good again. Now, lust, I've said it before, it's a second look, a turned head. It's gratifying my eyes. It's choosing to say I'm going to meet a sexual need by looking. Now, as men, we can do that. I see some hot girl dressed in some really revealing clothes. I can receive sexual gratification by looking at her. That's how God designed us. And I want to encourage you guys, divert your eyes and be real careful. The more strict I am with no second looks, the more accountable I am to my accountability partner. Do you know how hot that makes my wife look? Because nobody's competing with her. I see my wife and I'm like, dang, you're looking good, <laughs> okay? See, that's what God intended. When we live a life of purity, we win. Our wife becomes an amazing thing. Okay, But otherwise, we start comparing her with everyone, and it hurts. Now, here's what Jesus said about lust. I say to you in Matthew 5:28, I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And in Job 31, 3, Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes not to look with lust upon a young woman. That's the level of commitment that we're talking about here. Porn is lust, and porn is sin. Porn is a chemically addictive habit. Epinephrine is released into your bloodstream when you're sexually stimulated, and epinephrine aids memory. In other words, you can't forget the images that you're looking at. I've had guys tell me I can remember porn that I looked at 25 years ago. Likewise, if my wife, she's the only one satisfying me sexually, that epinephrine works to my advantage. Dr. Jeffrey Santinover in testimony to the U.S. Senate in 2004, said modern science allows us to understand that the underlying nature of an addiction to pornography is chemically nearly identical to a heroin addiction. Okay, here are the stats. As of August 2006, it's only got worse since then, 50% of Christian men and 20% of all Christian women were addicted to pornography. Addicted. This isn't occasionally, look. This is half of all Christian men are addicted. Okay, On the ground, it's like 90-plus percent, I think. I don't talk to many guys that don't struggle or haven't struggled with porn. It's rare. This is a big deal. These are some old statistics. I don't remember how old, five or six years old. 51% of pastors admit some struggle with porn. This is one in two pastors. 18% of pastors say they're addicted to porn. And honestly, this is just the, the honest ones. All these stats are lowball figures. Okay? I'm not saying this to tear anything or anyone down, but I want you guys to see the magnitude of the problem that we've got ourselves into because we're not doing this God's way. Sexual sin is the number one reason people leave the mission field. So porn is getting to be a huge issue. Here are just a few student quotes that I've heard, and no names, but here are some quotes. Porn has controlled me for more than half my life. Here's another one. I can't look at anyone without thinking sexual thoughts. I had one guy tell me, I've looked at so much porn and it's taken me so far down this road, I can't look at anyone, male or female, without thinking sexually about them. It's kind of awkward when you're in that conversation, you're wondering, you know, like, anyone but me, right? You <laughs> know, <laughs> we need to be men. don't be insecure, have those conversations, help these guys grow. Here's another one, I was afraid to serve God because of my addiction. I had one guy tell me, you used to ask me to lead Bible studies, I wouldn't even think about it because I was so addicted to porn. I didn't want to get close to doing that stuff. All you pastors in here, if you can't get men in your church to lead, I think the problem is pretty simple. I bet it has a lot more to do with porn than it does with anything else. So how do we get this out in the open? Let's start talking about it and giving people some hope, because the hope is there. I just want to throw a few things out there that are awkward, because you guys aren't going to hear them probably anywhere else. So masturbation. The Bible doesn't say don't masturbate. So again, I'm not going to try and put a standard on you that's not there. But what I do want to say about masturbation is 1 Corinthians 10.31, are you glorifying God with it? And I want to say with Matthew 5.28, are you lusting? Because lust is the same as adultery. If you can't answer those two questions right, then you should reevaluate how you view that topic. Okay, adultery is meeting an ego need. Again, I mentioned it earlier, but it's true. It's not about sex. It's about wanting to feel accepted and loved and respected. There's not a pastor alive that got into ministry thinking, I can't wait to have an adulterous relationship and mess up my entire church. That's never happened in the history of this world. But what happens is ministry is hard, and a lot of times you feel like you are leading and everybody's pushing against you. And then one woman's like, man, you're the best speaker I've ever heard. And you can go, wow, that's really exciting to hear that. There was a real beautiful girl in our ministry that told me that. But she would come up to me and she'd be like, you're the best speaker I've ever heard. Holy cow, all this stuff. And man, it really made me feel good. And I just told Aaron, I was like, I don't believe this girl has bad intentions. And I don't feel an attraction for her at all. But I, I mean, I don't want to like hang around with her enough to let that attraction start. Because it could happen real quick. Because I don't feel a physical attraction to her, but I sure feel uplifted by hearing how much she thinks I'm great at ministry. You know what I mean? You guys, that's where adultery starts. I'm in ministry, I know. I can tell you with a clear conscience, Ted Haggard did not get into the ministry to shame Christ. This was a small succession of very, very small things that went back to the ego. And it's the same for every other man. And like Billy Graham said too, they asked him, what about all the pastors that get caught in adultery? You know what Billy Graham said? He said, every day, thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of airplanes take off and not one crashes, and you don't report how safe they are. But when one crashes, you report that. He goes, I suggest you go find some that haven't fallen and start reporting on them. So that, that would be my encouragement about that. Okay, incremental steps. and in every one of those steps, I get to decide, am I going to take that step or not, or am I going to be accountable? Okay, homosexuality. And a lot of Christian guys are going to think, that's not an issue in Christian churches. On the contrary, it's bigger in the church than it is outside the church. Google Mike Haley. He came out of the homosexual lifestyle. He works for Focus on the Family. I actually have his testimony on my iPod. I would love to give it to you guys. So if you want it, we can pull it onto a computer and give it to any of you guys this week. But he said, and he works now, he's married and has kids and all this now, but he works with, with this issue in Christian churches. And he said it's far higher in the church than it is outside the church. You know why? He says people, when they start to feel these same-sex attraction feelings, they hate it. They don't want to be weird. They don't want to be different. So they go to the church to find answers. So the church has a lot higher percentage of people struggling with this than the, than the world does because people are going, going, I want to beat this thing. I want to get away from it. Unfortunately, the church typically is not giving them many answers. I've never heard this mentioned at my church. I don't know if you guys have. I've heard people talk about, like, let's fight homosexuality, but I haven't ever heard somebody talk about, hey, if you're struggling with this, we're here to talk to you. And honestly, this is a stat that will kind of shock most of you guys. 34% of young people admit having had same-sex attraction. That's one in three. About 1% to 2% of the population is gay. I'm only throwing that out to let you guys know how big of an issue this is. Now, there's not a study that has ever been done that says that homosexuality is genetic. You were not born that way. Nobody is born that way. There might be a predisposition to more feminine behavior or speech. That doesn't mean you're gay at all. It just means God made you with that kind of some feminine aspects of his character. They're not even feminine. Society says they're feminine. A voice is not feminine or masculine. Does that make sense? Some people are born that way and then society tells them, oh, you're gay. That's not true. Now, what happens predominantly in the homosexual arena is young men have not had a father that has shown them their value or a masculine friendship that has shown them that they are valued as men. And so they're searching for male affirmation. And society says it has to be sexual. The real need for guys that are struggling with this and I'll be honest, in the last 11 years, in four years of college and seven years since, there's only been one or two years where we didn't have somebody in our ministry that was struggling with homosexuality. So this is a real issue. And if you get down and dirty, you're going to deal with it, and you have to deal with it. But you know what? God has answers for that issue, too. Nobody's locked into this. It's not a fulfilling lifestyle. If you've ever struggled with this, I want to just shoot out some stats. Any of you guys that want these, I have six pages of peer-reviewed journal article sources that have all these stats they're really good at least to have i want to encourage you guys when mike haley does his testimony he says that the reason he went down this was because his dad didn't affirm him and in fact his name is michael he wasn't very athletic and his dad would often call him michelle and things like that basically it established this way of thinking about himself like he he was not masculine so i want to encourage you guys with your sons and with other young men that you know affirm them in their masculinity don't tell them that they're not good at sports, even if they aren't good at sports. Talk to your kids and affirm them and affirm other young men around you because they need that. Get this. The modal, our most frequent range for homosexual number of lifetime partners in the gay community is between 100 and 500. Okay, that's the typical average range, which means in one lifetime, they will have between 100 and 500 sexual partners. With 10 to 15% having between 500 and 1,000, and with another 10 to 15% having over 1,000 lifetime partners. That indicates to me that there's a need not being met, and they keep searching in all the wrong places. Only 2.7% of older homosexual men reported having only one lifetime sexual partner. Not even three out of 100 had one partner. Now, just to contrast that, 77% of heterosexual males and 88% of heterosexual females had only one lifetime partner. So it gives you a little bit of the perspective of what truly satisfies us and, and fulfills us. Gay men make up almost 55% of the AIDS cases in America. They make up only 1% of the population. So if you do the math, they are over 99 times more likely to contract HIV and AIDS. Okay, So 100 times as likely. And now just to sum it all up, life expectancy for gay men age 20 is 8 to 20 years less than their heterosexual counterparts. And in fact, it is estimated that up to half of gay men age 20 will not reach their 65th birthday. This is a dangerous and unfulfilling lifestyle. So when society says, you're feeling this feeling, you were born that way, they're leading you down a destructive path that will lead you into a lack of fulfillment and a hurtful lifestyle that will destroy you. So there is hope, though. You're not locked into this. There's a need for masculine affirmation that you can get at places like this if you've ever been there. Don't think you're some weird oddball. It just means that you need men that will affirm you and will help you grow. Okay, married men, porn, lust, and adultery are searching for something you already have, God meant to meet your sexual needs with your wife. Single men, porn, lust, and promiscuity are robbing you of what God wants you to have. The result of Satan's perversion, you hurt yourself and you hurt others. In Romans 6, 12 through 24, it says, don't offer your body up for unrighteousness because it hurts me. It kills me. Even if it was consensual, memories last, and the future will be painful. Okay, And if it wasn't, those people are going to be dealing with the consequences for years and years and years to come. And we know students that are divorced, that got married in the last 5 to 10 years, that are divorced because of their sexual pasts, and not being able to relate to each other because of them. So there's so much at stake. So why is the fight tough? Why is it hard for us as men to get this right? We're proud, and lust is about that a lot. We seemingly have our insecurities met in this. Okay, We're rebellious by nature. We have a strong natural sex drive, and we're sight-oriented. You could see that as being set up to lose, or you could, you could see it as being set up to have a whole lot of fun in sex. When we do it God's way. Does that make sense? When I don't do it God's way, I lose. When I do it his way, those natural masculine characteristics make sex awesome. Okay, now I want to end with a couple things. In Romans 7, Paul talks about the body of death. You guys remember that? says, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? This is actually a real historical issue. The Roman, and I'm quoting here, the Roman society knew a gruesome form of capital punishment practiced primarily by the Etruscan pirates in northern Italy. And this is a form of capital punishment. And what they do is if, if you murdered somebody, Wendell, okay, they would take that dead body and strap it to your body, chain it to you. So you're strapped to this dead body. And they would let that body rot attached to you until the infection and worms began to infect you too and you finally died as a result of it. Can you think of a more gruesome way to die? And this is in the hot Mediterranean sun. That was what they termed the body of death. So when Paul talks about sin all through Romans 7, the good I want to do, I don't do, the bad I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. And then he says, who's going to rescue me from this body of death? He's saying, my sin nature is like this dead corpse strapped to my body, rotting and killing me. Have you ever felt that way about sexual sin? He goes, who's going to rescue me from this? The next verse, thanks be to Jesus, right? Thanks be to God through Jesus. And then what's the next verse say? Romans 8, 1. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You might have messed this thing up in the past, but God's desire for you is victory. And there's no condemnation for you. And he is going to walk you as you allow him into victory. Now, a couple quick points for victory. Bondage is not okay. God set you free for freedom. Galatians 5, 1. Now, there's a sin cycle that you can all do. In Genesis 3, you can read about this, Adam and Eve. It starts with a desire. She sees the fruit. She sees it's good. She's tempted to eat the fruit because of that desire, even though she knows God said not to do it. She does it. Adam does it with her. And then what do they do? They feel conviction, and then they run from God. Okay, that's the natural way that sin works. Desire, temptation, sin, conviction, and then I'm running. That's what happens with sin. Okay, When we rationalize, we begin believing a lie. Romans 1.28, God lets us believe it. And that results in bondage and isolation from one another. So it goes like this. Desire, temptation, sin, conviction, running and rationalization. It wasn't that bad, but I'm still running. Now, as I run in rationalization, I become isolated from God and others. You guys got that picture in your heads? Now, the opposite of that is that I can run to God. Okay, Desire, temptation, sin. The Holy Spirit convicts me. The Holy Spirit starts to say, hey, Nate. (laughs) That wasn't cool. Now I sense that conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now I can confess that sin. So instead of rationalizing, I'm saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong. That was a sin, 1 John 1, 9. He forgives me, and then 1 John 1, the whole context, remember right before it gets to 9, 5 through 7, I walk in the light and I have fellowship with God and others. So you see the two pictures here? I can either run away from God and be isolated from God and others, or I can run to God and have fellowship with God and others. OK, and so now how do we have victory in this area? You've got to choose to win. You've got to realize it boils down to lordship. Is God really my Lord? Is Jesus my Lord? Or is he just fire insurance? Ephesians 5, 3 through 5 says, don't let there be even a hint of sexual immorality among you. That's God's standard. If he's my Lord, that's the standard that I look at. And I go, that's what I want in my life. OK, so I need to hate the sin. I need to have a war on my flesh I need to run from temptation. Remember Joseph in Genesis 39, when he ran from temptation. Habits can be broken in six weeks. That's a stat. It is possible to break those habits. Matthew 5:29 through 30, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out, right? If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Jesus, I don't think, is talking physically about doing those things. What I think he's saying is eliminate the things that cause you to sin. I have a friend that said, Porn is killing me so bad. He lived on the third floor because I took my computer and threw it out the window today. (laughs) I was like, you jerk. You should have given it to me. I was in college and I didn't have a computer. He's like, well, I didn't want it to be a stumbling block for you. So anyway, but yeah, that's what it means to pluck your eye out, cut your hand off if it causes you to sin. He realized that computer is causing me to sin. He threw it from the third floor into the dumpster and destroyed it. Okay, he cut it off. Philippians 3.3, don't put any confidence in your flesh. Don't think you're strong enough to resist. In Romans 13, 14, don't make any provision for your flesh. Don't allow yourself to get to the point of falling into sin. Set yourself up to win. Okay, beat temptation at the level of desire. I talked a minute ago about running to or away from God. Where did it start? Desire. Eve saw that the fruit was good, right? So she desired first, then was tempted to disobey God, then sinned. If you guys go to James 1:14, what does it say? But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he's dragged away and enticed. Did you guys get that? What comes first, desire or temptation? Desire. How many of you guys think beating temptation starts when I get tempted? That's what I always used to think. When, well, when the temptation hits, and I fight like mad and hope I win. No, I beat temptation before I ever even get tempted by letting God change my desires. Now, see, if your desire is for sexual gratification, then those immoral ways of fulfilling that are going to be very tempting. If your desire is for your wife, those things aren't going to tempt you at all. Does that make sense? So, see, I beat temptation at the level of desire. Now, here, I want to tie this all together, and I'm going to call it good in just a second, because I know it's getting late. You guys, if you want to change your desires, how do you do it? You read it this morning, Psalm 37.4. Delight yourself in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart, okay? So you want to beat temptation. You've got to change your desires. You want to change your desires. You've got to get closer to God. As you start getting closer to God, he starts to change those desires to be in line with his. All of you that have been Christians for any time at all have realized this happening in your life, and as he changes your desires, that temptation no longer is so tempting. I'd be lying to tell you that I've never been tempted to look at porn, there are definitely times like you pull up Fox News and there's some woman in a bikini and some ad and you're like, dang, I'd love to click that thing. You know what I mean? That temptation as a man will always be there in some extent you know, because we have this visual attraction to the female body. But I'm here to tell you that as God changes your heart, the temptation becomes so minute that it doesn't have any power over you and you don't have to live in bondage to it. So draw near to God. He'll change your desires. Temptation has nothing to work with. Okay, pray. Jesus said when we're tempted, pray. That's a huge way to win. That's in Luke 22. Hide the word in your heart, Psalm 119.11. As I put God's word in my heart, I will not sin against God. Again, I'm drawing near to him. He's changing my desires and putting his thoughts in my thinking by putting his word in my heart. Okay, and I win in the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5.18, he empowers me with his spirit. Ezekiel 36.27 says that he'll put his spirit in us so that we can obey his commands. Okay, if I want to be obedient to Christ, I don't have the power to do it on my own. But through him, I can have the victory. You guys, guard your eyes, Job 31.1. Guard your thinking, 2 Corinthians 10.5. And guard your heart. Guard what you allow yourself to be attracted to. Okay, in summarizing. And finally, guys, I want to tell you, use good tools. Russ talked about tools earlier. Here are some good tools. Memorize scripture. Okay, read good books. Use an internet filter or an accountability thing like Covenant Eyes. Using good tools, you can win. And also, guys, finally, stay accountable. You need other men to walk with you down this road. You need others. James 5.16 says, Confess your sins to each other, and you will be healed, not forgiven, right? Because God forgives me when I confess my sins to him, First John one nine. But when I confess my sins to my other Christian brother, then I get healed because I'm getting those out in the light and I'm letting God deal with them. And they're not in secrecy anymore where they can hit me bad. So First John 1, 7, I walk in the light as he is in the light, and I fellowship with God and others. Okay, marriage is awesome, guys, and God intended sex to be awesome too. And I want to leave you with Matthew six thirty three: seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added unto you. Guys, If he's everything in my life, if I love him and my passion is for him and I desire him more and everything, he's going to give me the greatest sex life that I could ever imagine. His way, not my way. He's going to provide for those needs that he created me with. But I don't achieve those by striving after them. I achieve those by seeking first him and his kingdom. And it's what Jesus said in Matthew 10. He said, if you find your life, you're going to lose it. So many of us men are trying to find our life sexually. And we end up losing it. And Jesus said, if you will lose your life for me, you'll find it. And that's when I say, you know what? I've screwed it up myself, God. And I'm ready to do it your way. I'm ready to lose myself. I'm ready to take those things that I've tried and that don't work and say, you know, forget them. And then in him, we find what he meant for us to have. Invest in your wives, guys. Invest in your wives. I'm going to end it there. Real men wait and commit to their wives. And you guys, God has so much for you. And it's so awesome. Let's do it his way and let's be the example to this world that they desperately need.